Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and you'll remember that on the first Sunday of Advent, the gospel reading had as its focus the second coming of our Lord in clouds with great power and glory. And then on the second and third Sundays, the focus shifted to John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And now on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we move closer to the birth of the Son of the Most High with our attention focused on Mary. This past week, as I have given my own attention to Mary, I have had three images of her in my mind, each of which seems to me to capture something of what I imagine to be her essence. The first image is the traditional image of Mary, dressed in blue, sitting beside the manger bed. This is the Mary, mother, meek and mild, of whom we sing in one of our Christmas hymns. This is a Mary, a mother like all mothers, who sits in wonder at the sight of the miracle that she has just given birth to. The second image is that of an icon that we have at home on our fireplace mantle. Jesus is older than an infant, and he and his mother are cheek to cheek. But in this icon, Mary is clothed in black rather than in the pale blue that we usually associate with her. Her eyes are dark and sad. Jesus is staring up into her face but her eyes are diverted as though she's looking into some painful future. When I look at this icon, it almost seems as though Jesus is about to take her face in his hands to get her attention. You know, any of those who have children know what they do when they're little and they think we're not paying attention and they grab our face and look straight in our eyes to make sure that we're paying attention to them. This is the Mary of whom Simeon said, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul also. This is the Mary of the pierced soul. The Mary in W.H. Auden's Christmas oratorio for the time being who says to her newborn, sleep. What have you learned from the womb that bore you? 
but an anxiety your father cannot feel. Sleep. What will the flesh that I gave do for you, or my mother love, but tempt you from his will? Why was I chosen to teach his son to weep? Little ones sleep, dream. In human dreams, earth ascends to heaven where no one need pray or ever feel alone. In your first few hours of life here, oh, have you chosen already what death must be your own? How soon will you start on the sorrowful way? Dream while you may. This is the Mary who knows that she has borne a son destined for the sorrowful way. This is Mary, like very few of us, but like those who for some reason knows the sad destiny of her own child. Her sorrow is overwhelming. And then the third image comes from a watercolor illustrated children's book simply entitled The Nativity by Julie Vivas. The first illustration in the book is of, an, of the angel Gabriel with tousled red hair and his wings look like rainbows whose colors ran in the wash. He's holding the hem of his too long robe, and he's sort of creeping along in untied and too large work boots. And in the next illustration, he's sort of stumbling, half flying down a tree in the direction of a young woman in bedroom slippers hanging her laundry outside of the line. Gabriel tells the young woman, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God, while they drink a cup of coffee at her kitchen table. And then in the next illustration, Joseph looks dumbfounded as he breaks the news to him. And then in a series of three pictures, they watch in astonishment as her stomach grows and grows and grows. And then once Jesus has been born, it is Joseph who cradles the baby Jesus while Mary leans against him in the straw, clearly exhausted from having just given birth. This is the Mary that I imagine most truly resembles that young virgin taken completely by surprise at the angel's greeting. This is the Mary who was much perplexed by the angel's words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And we know that this Mary is not dressed in a bright, clean, blue robe looking as though nothing has just happened to her. And it's usually the case with God. We have no idea why it was that Mary was chosen to be what the Greeks called Theotokos, the bearer of God. We have no idea why it was said that she was full of grace and favored in God's sight. What we do know, however, is that what God may consider the good news of our being chosen may seem like bad news to us for a good long time. And what I love about the Julie Vivas illustrations is they capture her youth and her simplicity and that very real sense of astonishment that Mary must have felt when she said in response to Gabriel's message, how can this be since I am a virgin? 
And you'll remember that after the angel departed from her, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country to see her cousin Elizabeth. We don't know why she did so, but we know that Elizabeth had had an equally surprising encounter with the angel who told her that despite her um, age and barrenness, that she would also find herself pregnant and expecting a son. Now, I can imagine at least two reasons why Mary may have set out with haste to visit Elizabeth. The first reason being that she must have wanted some confirmation that she had not gone completely around the bend. She may have said to the angel, let it be according to your word, but I would be willing to bet that she was still asking herself that question, how can this be? Seeing Elizabeth well past her six month of pregnancy would have been some confirmation, at least, that the angel's visit had not simply been a dream. The second reason I imagine Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months was that she was unmarried, young, and pregnant. When I was a teenager, young women who got pregnant disappeared. They went to live with a relative or a friend or to a home for unwed mothers to minimize the embarrassment of it all. We can only speculate about the reasons for Mary's visit to Elizabeth, but what we know is that it was in the context of that visit that Mary gave her resounding yes to God's stupendous plan. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all genera generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She was also able to recognize that being chosen as Theotokos had very little to do with her, but everything to do with the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and his descendants. The birth of Jesus would have to do with God's mercy, with choosing lowliness over power, with filling the hungry with good things, with keeping promises. I am thankful that on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we are getting closer to the stable and that our attention is fixed primarily on Mary. There are innumerable artistic renditions of Mary, with Gabriel, with Elizabeth, with Joseph at the manger. But this morning, I would hope that you might take with you at least the three images that I have briefly sketched. First, the more familiar Mary, who sits beside the manger, looking at her infant boy with absolute adoration. Not adoration of the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, but the adoration that every parent feels at the first sight of the miraculous new being who has come into the world and into their family. Second, the sorrowful Mary, who looks beyond the present miracle to the enormity of her pain at the suffering that he will experience those final days of his life at the enormity of her pain at the time of his death. And finally, I hope that you will take with you the Mary of the Julie Vivas illustrations, 
a Mary who is whimsical, a Mary who is capable of absolute astonishment and wonder, sitting at her kitchen table with Gabriel, listening to the message he has delivered on behalf of God. How can this be? How can this be indeed? I pray that as we approach the manger later this week, that we will find ourselves newly astonished by the grace of God and the gift to us of Jesus Christ. May it be the case that we can still ask the question, how can this be? Before Jesus returns in clouds with great power and glory, we remember again this week that he first came to us as a weak and vulnerable infant who grew to be a man well acquainted with grief and pain, who was and is Emmanuel, God with us. I'd like to leave with you a reminder shared yesterday by a friend during this pandemic Christmas season. Even if we can't gather in person, Emmanuel is God with us. Even if some Christmas traditions have had to go, Emmanuel is God with us. Even if we might not get to hug family and friends, Emmanuel is God with us. Even if we cannot sing carols beside one another, Emmanuel is God with us. And even if Christmas cheer is a bit harder this year than usual, Emmanuel is God with us. Yes, he is Emmanuel, God with us.